bout as a result of a disqualification. And still, World Wrestling Federation Champion, Yokozuna! Wait a minute, he's rubbing his belt! He just dropped his belt on the road! What? Yokozuna! He's hit his head! He hit his head! Alright, on today's podcast, I am joined by the human mayonnaise jar, the most athletic at the athletic, the long-lost twin of Joffrey Laverne, the excellence of executing an 18,000-word piece on any NBA player on a 10-day contract, and the white boy most likely to hit me with a ramen noodle moonsault, Blake Murphy. What's up, man? <laughs> Which one did you like the best? <laughs> wow, I think the last one, man. Working ramen noodle moonsault in is uh, is good work. The only <laughs> thing you missed was the, the sweet and sour pork tattoo. Oh, yeah, which uh, you have on your leg. I-, I saw it prominently displayed at Trinity Bellwoods this weekend. How was that? No, I'm just kidding. Please confirm you <laughs> didn't do this. I keep trying to pin stuff on you. Yeah, absolutely not. I was not one of those people. Uh, I was at, there's, um, so I was in Drumbo, which is like a little town about two hours outside of Toronto um, that my family lives in. And I went to the park there one day and there was literally not a single other person there. It was great. It's the exact yeah. opposite of Bellwoods. All I'm saying is, if you want to go to a park, that's perfectly fine. I understand the need to be outside, but there's no need to just crowd around like that and then go pee on people's property, which is what some people did. Yeah, the I don't know the the peeing and the littering. It's like I don't know, man. People are so dumb. Yeah, you gotta speak for your people, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, I, I was thinking about it. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be to be like? like one of the people in the front of those photos and you're on the cover of like every newspaper now just for like being a selfish jerk yeah so you're saying you wouldn't frame that toronto sun no it was like when i when i was at queens the year that our homecoming got out of hand and like a car got flipped over and stuff uh it was that uh, pictures of that were on the cover of like every paper and i had to look really closely to make sure that i wasn't in there anywhere (laughs) the craziest thing you know i I have people like on Twitter when I tweet about it, like hitting me up with the science and being like, it's okay to be outside. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But it's also like irresponsible to be doing that. And then obviously like all the other stuff like peeing. And I think somebody took a number two on someone's property. Unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah. And like, I don't know, it is like safer to be outside. Like I go for runs and stuff like that. But, you know, wear a mask and I, the thing is, is like with those people that are there, if you're doing that, I just really don't trust you to be taking the other precautions that would make something like that slightly more OK. Like, I don't trust that those are the same people wearing a mask into a store and not going around, you know, their old family members and stuff like that. Because if you're willing to be that loose with that, you're probably willing to be pretty loose with a lot of things. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it's not like they're just going to the park and then following the rules everywhere else. Like, it's just a complete display of how they would act regularly did you see in missouri like there's been a huge spread of cases now because all these people went to a great clips to get haircuts 
Yeah, it's of all the places to go. I, I've never got my hair cut at Great Clips, but I imagine based on the name, it's like the equivalent of getting a Supercuts haircut. Yeah, I think I think you go there if you want to look like Greg Ostertag. Okay, yeah, I got so, that. I think yeah. that's. I'm the, not. No, I, I've tried to keep like I've tried to clean up the sides and back of my hair a little bit by myself, but I'm so worried of like taking a chunk off and then I gotta shave my head. It's uh, I'll wait for Town Barber to safely open. Yeah, you 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 don't have um you don't have a go to Asian barber. I, I thought as an honorary Asian, you would have I, someone on deck. When I lived in Chinatown, I would go to Terminal, which is I think where you go, right? Yeah, I go to either Terminal 1 or 2. Actually, this whole funny thing happened because, like, my guy was at Terminal 2, and then he went on vacation. So I switched to a dude at Terminal 1, but then my guy showed back up at Terminal 1. So I had to go back to him, and now the other guy's really mad at me every time I walk in. It's all very awkward. But, yeah, did you have an Asian at Terminal? Uh, I did, and then I had, there was another place that was on the corner of, like, McCall and Dundas, just a little down from there, and I forget his name, but I used to, oh, Hagen, H-A-G-E-N, I used to go to that that person all the time, um, and that was an Asian gentleman who would do my hair, but now I go to um, a white girl at Town Barber named Taylor. Okay, so you just went back to your old roots? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, what coming up it was all like cambridge's heavy portuguese people so it was like portuguese ladies cutting my hair on the way up but they're that's uh it's good i've, I've gotten gotten to try a, a few different ways at, at haircuts and i <laughs> i would say i'm glad i'm not getting my haircut in cambridge regularly anymore yo can you imagine the lineups for haircuts though when things actually open up it's gonna be crazy and and like i'd imagine the the safer shops are gonna be like like they probably won't have every chair filled because the chairs are maybe too close together. It's gonna be a lot. Th- thank God that there's online booking because I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be in there, just set yeah. up set up alerts. Um, it'll be like you know what it's gonna be like. It's gonna be like shoe raffles. They're gonna raffle off like the first three days worth of haircuts. Wow! Imagine me selling my slot for like triple the price to you. Yeah, that bad. would be amazing. Um, I mean, my hair, I, my hair does not look good at the length of that. The beard is fine. Like, thankfully, I grow a good beard. Uh, but the hair is. This is like the longest my hair's been since I had a mullet when I was like five years old. Yeah, you should go back to the mullet, man. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe. Oh, I, I'm getting pretty close to like. I could maybe do like the Aaron Baines ponytail up top. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want that as your look. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You, you can go a few ways with that. If so, this anyway. goes a couple more weeks, I might like do something like that just for, just for jokes. But yeah, well, well, I, I, I'm gonna let you know that it's gonna be going on for at least a couple more weeks. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, we gotta, we gotta find out how many barbers are gonna be on staff at the uh, Disney World NBA bubble. Oh yeah, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna tell Dan Toman to hit up Raptors PR to request nine credentials for Yahoo, um, just for <laughs> jokes. Imagine. Yeah, I mean, I do think we're going to have a little, there's going to be a little bit of media there. I just don't know if it'll be like, you're obviously not going to have like seven, eight beat writers per team. Uh, but I don't know what they're going to do. Because like, yeah, they're that- going to want, like, it benefits the league at that point to start having the media ramp it up too. Yeah, but that's actually going to be, that's actually going to be really interesting. Because it does sound like, it does sound like there's real momentum now for all of this to come back. Hopefully it's coming back in a smart, responsible way, but I don't know. The barber question's real, though. Like, 
it, based on the timelines that have been kicked around, like you could conceivably, if your team goes to the finals, you could conceivably be there for three months. There are like 450 players in the NBA plus all the staff and stuff like that. So you like, even if guys were only getting a haircut every two weeks, that's still like 20 plus guys a day that need to get their haircut. Yeah, and you're kidding when you're saying like two weeks because you know these guys. They're getting haircuts like every three days. Yeah. Yeah. Man. You're going to tell Fred Van Vliet coming out of quarantine that he can only get a lineup every three weeks? <laughs> man, that's a lucrative career right now. I would jack all the prices up, man. Being a barber? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. There was uh, one of the guys from Town Barber was on. I can't remember if it was CP24 or CTV or something like that recently. But he said he was getting DMs and people were offering him like hundreds of dollars for like a black market haircut. Oh, like the first time we go get a haircut, like I'm pretty sure it's going to be like a 100% tip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, maybe flowers. I don't know. Yeah, well, I know my mom's not going to tip. She's a cheap tipper. I don't know why I'm throwing her under the bus. Um, anyways. Let's get to this WrestleMania 10. So, um, you know, we did King of the Ring 93 like two episodes ago when, when we recorded together. And yep. remember we talked about how like that pay-per-view kind of dragged maybe, you know, in, in the middle things got really slow. I, I feel like with WrestleMania 10, first of all, which was like brought back so many great memories. I don't even remember when I watched this, but I definitely watched this as a kid. Um this was one of the all-time great pay-per-views, I feel like, because there was just so many different storylines and things that were happening. Yeah, it's definitely um, leading up to WrestleMania this year. I was talking; I have a DM group that we talk wrestling about, and everyone kind of listed their five favorite WrestleManias. Uh, and this one, this one, and WrestleMania 30 and WrestleMania 17 were kind of the consensus top three. So it's right up there when you've had, you know, whatever 35 WrestleManias or whatever they've had now. It's uh, to be a top three is pretty pretty big deal. Yeah, like that Razor Ramon Shawn Michaels ladder match is considered one of the best of all time, and that's just like one of like so many great matches. Yeah, and like, and I think you know what you get in here is like you get a couple matches that like fundamentally change things, right? Like the Razor Shawn ladder match kind of ushered in that new era of what like the young up and coming guys on the mid card would do and would be expected to do and stuff. And like, obviously the ladder match has been such a important gimmick for WWE over the years. Um, but that one kind of like, you know, that whole feud really, and both of their kind of runs as in, in the intercontinental title range was like, this is, you know, we've talked before about how the intercontinental championship isn't that important anymore. But like back in the day, it was like, okay, you're the next one up. And like, I'm pretty sure Sean Sean Michaels like goes on to the world heavyweight title scene after this feud and stuff. So, um, pretty big one. And then obviously like the Owen and Brett match is like an historic match too. Yeah, no, we're definitely gonna get to Owen Hart. You know, it's surprising to me when I was thinking about like you were saying how Sean Michaels went on to compete for the WWF title. Like Razor Ramon really never got that push like from the Intercontinental title scene to like the wwf title scene did he no i think he had one title shot against bret hart but he really wasn't um you know he wasn't pushed as the the top top guy i don't think and it's i mean part of that is probably the reason why so this is what this was early 94 and it wasn't until 96 that he left uh wwf for wcw but yeah he was kind of like that second tier guy and he had like some good feuds and some good matches and stuff like that but uh i don't think uh 
Yeah, I mean, he never held the title. I don't know. I, I definitely know he challenged Bret Hart for it at one point, but I don't know if it uh, is any more than that. I did pose this question on Instagram this weekend. I want to ask you, who do you think is the cooler character, uh, Shawn Michaels or Razor Ramon? Because they're both cool in their own ways. Yeah, I think Razor Ramon is cooler, um, but Shawn Michaels, like, obviously, Shawn Michaels' career was just so much better that he gets the, the extra points. But, like, I don't know, man. Razor, like, exuded cool in a different way than Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels was, like, so much of the character was him being kind of a D-bag that uh, even though it's, like, it was cool and it was, like, oh, sh- oh shit, like, I, you know, that's the the old saying of, like, women want to be with him and men want to be him or whatever. Um, but I think Razor was more of, like, a, a natural and accessible cool. Like, no one... No one could be like, oh, I'm going to be Shawn Michaels because um, like he was better than everyone else. And that's like a different kind of cool to aspire to. Whereas Razor was like, I don't know. I feel like Razor was just like a more accessible cool and a more like cool everyone could understand. Whereas Shawn, because he was because so much of his coolness was tied up in his talent and his good looks and him being like kind of an asshole. It was a little less. Uh, I don't know. I just think Razor was a little cooler for those reasons. Someone said Razor Ramon is just like a knockoff Scarface. Yeah, I mean, that was the pitch is like, I I guess, um, as I understand it, like Razor went to Vince McMahon and was basically like just doing a a knockoff of all those movies and Vince McMahon loved it. So why not? He also might be a secret Asian because I don't know any non-Asian that uses the toothpick. (laughs) <laughs> as as much as him and i love how during the matches he'll always take off his chains and like tell the officials ringside to like be careful with them and then he'll flick his toothpick at them <laughs> uh the toothpick thing was like that's another thing is like i think i feel like you could emulate him a little better with the walk and the and the hey yo and the chico and the toothpick flip like he was more if you were a kid you could do more of what razor ramon did than you could what Shawn michaels did yeah so the main event for wrestlemania 10 well there's two wwf title matches so it involves three people lex luger yokozuna and bret hart so i went back and watched you had told me to go back and watch uh wrestlemania 9 so i did watch um the end of that so the the main event for wrestlemania 9 the year before was yokozuna versus bret hart for the wwf title and bret hart was the title holder at the time and first of all, the, can we talk about the bonsai drop that Yokozuna does? I just think it's amazing <laughs> that his finishing move is he literally just sits on people. I mean, good luck kicking out. <laughs> yeah, there must be. I feel like guys must have kicked out, right? I feel like Hulk Hogan must have kicked out of it or, or somebody. They, mu- they must have used that to hype people up. I don't know if they I don't, it must have been pretty protected because like like even the finish of this one, it's like Bret Hart doesn't kick out of it. It's just like it's such a weird finish. Um, I'm pretty they they protected Yokozuna pretty well. I think I don't know if anyone ever kicked out. Yeah, so Yokozuna uh, goes up against Bret Hart in WrestleMania Nine the year before, and before the match, uh, Hulk Hogan does an interview with Mean Gene Okerlund, and he's in he has a black eye, and he basically says he he tells Bret Hart like I'm issuing a challenge to you, Bret Hart or that Jap brother. Um, which wow. I'm just tracking all the racist stuff. Uh, wow. The um, the American themes, the American patriotism was just so thick back in the day. Like I know we touched on that last time, but like when you're going through this Yokozuna, 
Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, Bret Hart stuff. Well, first of all, it's hilarious when they chant USA when Bret Hart is fighting against Yokozuna because neither of them are American. <laughs> um, but, man, the American patriotism was just on another level, man. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, this is kind of the whole thing, right? It's like, first you have, to go from WrestleMania 9 to WrestleMania 10, you have Hogan coming in and basically, like, saving WrestleMania from the big evil foreigner at the last minute. And then we talked about when we did the King of the Ring one, Hogan drops the title back to Yokozuna because he wouldn't drop it to Bret Hart, but he also wouldn't drop it clean. And then, like, they basically try to make Lex Luger the replacement Hogan. So this whole, like, Yokozuna's entire run at the top was basically just, like, this jingoism of, like, we need an American hero to conquer Yokozuna. Uh, until eventually, I guess, they just went back to Bret Hart because, you know, that Lex Luger thing wasn't working and Hogan was leaving for WCW. Yeah, I feel like at some point, and maybe they had reached that point at WrestleMania 10, they had just exhausted what they could get out of Yokozuna. Like, you can only hit that storyline with him so many times with those different guys, right? Yeah, it's like, I mean, you could, this is the the 90s in WWF, they could have gone back to it a, a number of times if they wanted, really. But what they probably would have done was just like, this was kind of in the Hogan era. You just rotate in the next foreign threat, right? Like, next it's, I don't know, Sergeant Slaughter turning on America, and then it's uh, Nikita Kolov or whoever. Uh, you just bring in the next foreign threat. I feel like every gimmick in the 90s was either just pure American patriotism or just the selling of the male body. Like, like there were so many, like, what was it, like... Um, there was Rick Martel, like the heavenly bodies. Like Lex Luger was the narcissist. Well, Lex Luger was both, right? He was the narcissist and then he was the American hero. Like I feel like you yeah. could classify like 80% of the gimmicks in the 90s into those two categories. Yeah, just like over-the-top masculinity or over-the-top <laughs> Americanism. It's uh, Wow, did, did we just, did we just uh, break news that wrestling is basically toxic ma- masculinity? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, you look at who was running the company through all of this and you learn a little something about, you know, how Vince McMahon sees the world, maybe. Um, and, you know, it's not exclusive to WWF. Like, you know, the the Rocky movies use that as well. They have the, the big bad black guy in one of them and then they have the big bad Russian in one of them. Um, you know, so it's not exclusive to WWF, but they certainly went to that well pretty often. Wow, didn't didn't uh, you didn't strike me as a Vince McMahon apologist, you know? Not a Vince McMahon apologist. I, I I'll tell you right now, I'll be critical about this Vince McMahon biopic if it ever gets made that Bradley Cooper is loosely attached to. So, oh, are they making one with Bradley Cooper? There have been rumors for like a couple years of a script existing, and like WWE got involved and like sanitized the script. And at one point, Bradley Cooper was rumored. Also, the guy who plays Thor is, like, rumored to be attached to the Hulk Hogan movie. That's amazing. Well, the one thing I'll always say about Vince McMahon is he's so rich, he got to start XFL twice. Yeah. I saw a rumor the other day that it was the most uh, it was the most Fertitta thing I've ever seen, that Vince declared bankruptcy on for the XFL during all of this, but, like, I guess there's a way he could, like, a loophole he could exploit to, like, buy back all of the XFL assets really cheap. So he'll have like saved money by filing for bankruptcy and restarting the XFL again. I didn't really, I didn't get too deep, too deep into the details, but it sounds like a very Fertitta thing to do. So he basically furloughed them. Yeah. Yeah. He furloughed the XFL. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Have we talked since 
uh, well, have we talked on the podcast since Tillman Fertitta did his uh, I'm Not Broke interview with Sam Amick? I feel like we referenced this last time. Yeah, I mean, we got into the DiBiase <laughs> and, and IRS stuff, I'm sure. By the way, this is that's the best part of WrestleMania 10 is that they keep cutting to Bill Clinton in the crowd for interviews and IRS is there at one point, like asking him to raise taxes. Yeah. Don't worry. Uh, whole segment on the celebrity cameos sorry. of yeah, WrestleMania sorry. 10. Ahead of, uh, getting ahead no. of us. So just for the, just for listeners. Well, first of all, subscribe to the WDB network or find a way to watch these old matches. They're honestly so enjoyable. So WrestleMania nine, like Blake was alluding to. So Yokozuna beats Bret Hart. Thanks to some interference from Mr. Fuji. And he becomes the new WWF champion. But then Hulk Hogan comes out. And this is still Hulkamania, um, Hulk Hogan. And they he challenges Yokozuna to a match. Or actually, Mr. Fuji goes, you know, if you get into the ring right now, Yokozuna will put the WWF title on the line. Which I'm like, did you consult Yokozuna on this? Because he literally just fought uh, a title match. And um, Mr. Fuji tries to throw, like, whatever it is, chalk or salt in Hogan's face, but he accidentally hits Yokozuna, and then Hogan gets the leg drop. And this match is literally, like, two minutes. And Hogan somehow comes out of WrestleMania with the WF title, which I found the whole sequence to just be hilarious. Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. It's, uh... I don't know, man. Mr. Fuji's hilarious. The, the salt in the eye is my favorite thing, um, mostly because... Have you ever seen the movie Ready to Rumble? Yes. Where they throw it in Diamond Dallas Page's face, and he's like, that doesn't work, you morons. But then while he's saying that, they handcuff him to the cage. So uh, I always, I'm always curious what it actually is, because like, I can't imagine there's anything that getting, throw, getting it thrown in your eye wouldn't be at least moderately uncomfortable. Yeah, I just love how something so stupid is responsible for two title changes at WrestleMania. Like, I feel like they could have done a little better. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, this is the thing when you're trying to protect guys all the time, right? It's when it, when you built the comp like this is an issue WWE runs into all the time now, where they've established that like it's like you can lose a game, right? Like you can lose a match and it's fine; it shouldn't be the end of the world. But sometimes they book themselves into a corner where you know a guy can't go over or can't lose cleanly because it'll you know kill his heat or make him look bad or whatever. Um, but that's just poor storytelling. Like, you shouldn't have to cheat to get guys over all the time, especially when it's a guy like Yokozuna. Like, it's completely understandable that you'd lose to a 500-pound guy. Yeah, and the way that they hyped up Yokozuna in that way. But, you know, anyways, that's all, like, that's all ego and stuff with guys like Hogan. So I also watched the Monday Night Raw. That was two weeks before WrestleMania. And then they had this March to WrestleMania event. That was the Sunday before WrestleMania. But it was just a, a lot of the matches were just the guys that were going to be on the WrestleMania 10 card versus jobbers. Uh, but this one thing I didn't realize. So the commentators at the March to WrestleMania event were Vince McMahon and Johnny Polo. And I had completely forgotten that Johnny Polo was Raven. Yeah, man. He's uh, he was pretty good in that role. He was like a, a manager for a little bit, too. Yeah, he managed the Quebecers and I think a few other tag teams too. It's just yeah. hilarious seeing how some of these guys ended up going to like ECW and becoming completely different characters. Yeah, um, who's the other one? Like, who was I thinking of? That? Oh, Diamond Dallas Page was a manager too. Yeah, see, I didn't know all this. And Terry Gordy was the executioner. Like, they literally dressed him up as an executioner. That's, like, I don't know if you yeah. remember that. 
I do not really remember the execution. I'm picturing basically like a gimp. Yeah, no, I was going to say exactly just like the gimp in Pulp Fiction because he shows up uh, here at March to, March to WrestleMania and he loses to Earthquake in like two minutes. Man, they really like he just like has the big sword and everything. The sickle, I guess it's called. Yeah. Are you looking it up right now? Yeah, I just looked up a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the ECW WWF like it, it just never worked. The guys like like Taz was like a super like cool guy in ECW, right? And, and then yeah. he just came to WWF and like eventually just transitioned into being a commentator. Yeah, and that that one makes sense to me that like if you're a wrestler and then like you get injured or you get old or whatever, then you transition off into being an announcer. But it's weird to like see these guys who ended up being like valuable in-ring wrestlers like get their start being a manager or a commentator. Like I don't know, did WWF like just not think Raven or Diamond Dallas Page were good enough in the ring? Like that's why they didn't get a chance. Yeah, it's really funny looking back at that in retrospect. The only highlight from the March to WrestleMania event, which was just one big promo for WrestleMania, was so Macho Man had fought Yokozuna for the WWF title a few weeks before and had him pinned, but then Crush came in and interfered and cost him a title. So Macho Man cuts this like huge five-minute promo with Vince McMahon and gets really emotional about how he lost his chance to win the title again and things like that. It was, um, you know, I, I don't think I was like that big of a fan of Macho Man Randy Savage growing up, but like rewatching some of these like promos that he would cut, like you could tell why he was a huge star. And it was kind of sad seeing him like reduced to like this mid-card feud with Crush, who I think we talked about last time, just like never worked in any capacity. Yeah. Also the like, I don't know, Crush just like being this huge guy and just like doing Yokozuna's dirty work is a weird is a weird thing. Like, shouldn't you, if you're this big tough guy, like, shouldn't you want the? I don't know. I never, I never understand the like motivation sometimes of like a bad guy to just like like Yokozuna doesn't need a heavy. He doesn't need you to to back him up. Um, but yeah, the Randy Savage stuff. Like, I think you know this is probably the window of time where he would have thought like because he was always like under Hogan. In the, the like late 80s and early 90s, um, I would imagine he probably looked at this time of like, oh, Hogan's gone. Like, it's finally my time to be toward the top. And then he's like, he's on the third match on the card or the fourth match on the card or whatever. I'd imagine it's pretty disappointing. And Crush at this point has turned heel and he comes to the ring all the time with Mr. Fuji waving the Japanese flag. And honorary listen, Asian Crush. Well, listen, man. The. A, a, Hawaii, a wrestler from Hawaii being repped by a man waving a Japanese flag. Like, there's a lot going on there is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we talk about, I mean, we'll, we'll, okay, we'll get into how the uh, the Lex Luger, Yokozuna, and the Bret Hart, the two matches came about. But can we talk about Owen Hart for a second? Just, like, watching him in these Monday Night Raws, you know, leading up to WrestleMania, and, of course, at WrestleMania... Like, I don't know. I, I probably didn't think this at the time. And I don't know if, if I'm just going back and like revisionist history because obviously he passed away. But you could tell the potential in him and how he could have been such a great character and wrestler if he just, you know, had stayed alive and, and you know, didn't die so tragically at that pay-per-view. And you could see like the potential of him, like even as a heel in, in this feud with Bret Hart. 
for sure. And I think, you know, the potential as a heel is there. And then also, I think probably part of why he didn't get higher up the card was that he was a little small. But, like, you can also see the glimpses of, like, where he would make a great underdog babyface uh, as well. And, like, he was obviously in this era, like, one of the very best in the ring. And WrestleMania 10 isn't a good example, but he was one of the better promos at the time, too. Uh, the ones he cuts on this show are a little are a little iffy. Um, but yeah, and then like, I don't know, I don't know, did he get like punished a little bit by WWF when Bret Hart decided to go to WCW? Like that blue blazer gimmick that ended up, you know, being involved with the the angle that cost him his life was like a, a ridiculous and dumb thing and a poor use of him. Um, so I don't know, man, I think there was a lot of, a lot of missed potential there. And like, he was still pretty young. Like he was only 34 when he passed away and wrestlers tend to peak in like their late thirties in terms of where they are on the card and stuff like that. So um, I definitely think there was a lot of lost potential there. Obviously, it's a tragedy for uh, a lot of reasons. But you go back and watch some of this Owen Hart stuff or the Hart Foundation stuff. And, um, man, he was one of the better workers at the time, too. Yeah, I, I honestly see him, could have seen him as like a Kurt Angle or like Chris Jericho type vibe. You know? Like, yeah. I, like, I feel like the crowd would have fallen in love with him. For sure. And, like, that's the... You know, if you're uh, that kind of disgruntled heel for long enough, and he did like the heel work in Nation of Domination and stuff like that, it's it's easy to tell a compelling story of like him kind of coming around and becoming a fan favorite around that. And like he had the like sarcastic elements that Jericho had and, and like the promo ability and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, for whatever reason, they kept saddling him with this weird mid card stuff and like the Blue Blazer stuff before he passed away was ridiculous. It's like, Obviously, it's extra sad now because he passed away. But even if you just look back as a wrestling fan, it's like, why are you using, like, why is Owen Hart doing this? Like, don't give him the comedy gimmick. I mean, you can give him comedy stuff because he'll get it over or whatever. But, like, I would still want one of my best guys in, like, real storylines and real matches. So, WrestleMania 10. So, the main event is between three people vying for the WF title. Yokozuna is the title holder. So Lex Luger faces off against Yokozuna, and the winner would go on to face Bret Hart. Meanwhile, Bret also has to wrestle against Owen Hart to start the pay-per-view. So how this all happened was, at Royal Rumble, Bret Hart and Lex Luger like eliminated each other at the same time, right? Is that what happened? Yes. Yeah, they both both their feet hit the floor at the same time. I <laughs> Which I remember when I found that out as a kid, like that was like the coolest thing. Like I can't believe there was a draw in in in, in a Royal Rumble. <laughs> yeah, it's uh Yeah, it's and they've gone back to it since. I think like the Rock and Big Show tied one too. <laughs> That's amazing, man. And I have to mention, so Lex Luger was the narcissist and then he got turned into which I think you put perfectly just basically a knockoff Hulk Hogan American hero and the year before in 93 he arrived on a helicopter uh, on the USS Intrepid in New York on Independence Day it wearing an American flag shirt and body slammed Yokozuna which was like this huge thing uh, obviously they were using this to you know put him over and set him up that is the most American thing that's ever happened in the US oh yeah yeah having him fly like <laughs> It's the most, uh, it's very modern is what I'll say is like, I could absolutely see the American government trying to stage something like that now. Yeah. It would be weird rooting for these, uh, American heroes of the WWF now. 
because you know who you would be aligning yourself with. Yep, it sure it sure would be. It's like <laughs> it's such a funny thing. Like there's a there's a new tag team in WWE right now, and they're like they're all ex army vets, but they're bad guys. So it's like if this were the '90s, you'd have these ex army guys who were like absolutely. Uh, I guess Sergeant Slaughter was ex was an army guy, and he just turned on America. Uh, but these guys are just like, no, we're like army vets and we have PTSD. We're we're the bad guys. Uh, it's a weird it's a weird time for jingoism in wrestling because, yeah, I don't know, man. It's a it's it's an odd time, I think, to play the like America number one card as a wrestler. Yeah, it's a lot right now. So WrestleMania ten takes place at Madison Square Garden, and honestly, I just respect how the WWF treated WrestleMania like an actual Super Bowl. And it's a real testament to like their marketing machine and the way they hyped it up. Like it does feel like a monumental event when you get there, right? Yeah, I mean, I've never been, but I would imagine it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And then MSG is like, it's the mecca for basketball, but it's also like the world's most famous arena on the, the wrestling side too. So uh, pretty, you get that big vibe and then you have all the celebrities and everything. They've always done a big deal, a good job making WrestleMania feel like this huge, larger than life thing. And in recent years, that's moved to like a lot of outdoor stadiums with a lot of pyro and stuff like that. Um, but even like, I feel like they could bring it back to Madison Square Garden at any time. And Madison Square Garden just lets you have that feel. I did like the year before WrestleMania 9 when they did it outdoors at Caesars Palace. Like, the vibe of it was just really cool. Like, MSG is super cool, but I feel like there's something about just whether it's an outdoor event or a dome where you can have 60,000 people. Because, like, uh, at Madison Square Garden, it, it does feel a little bit less, like, of a spectacle. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know. I still think it's pretty... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe if it's in a different arena that's not MSG, but they have so much history there and like wrestling has so much history there. But yeah, the uh the Caesars Palace one is I mean that that's a bad WrestleMania, but I feel like that makes it feel way cooler. Uh also like it looks like everyone like 5 minutes into every match, it looks like everyone is just like gassed out like crazy. <laughs> also like all the commentators and everyone were just dressed up like Greek gods. Like, yeah. it was hilarious, like, including Perfect. guys like Mean Gene. And shout-outs Todd Pettengill, um, a, a staple of 90s wrestling, man. I am i don't even know who that is. Oh, man. He was, like, I'm trying to think. Who's the other white guy that eventually took over? But he was, like, the he was like the definitive, like, white guy interviewer back in the early 90s. And like the pre-Mean Gene? Or like, I guess, post-Mean Gene? He was, he was like alongside Mean Gene. I think he okay. would get like the less important interviews. Okay, um, that makes sense. But, but he had a pretty decent run. So speaking of celebrity power at WrestleMania, let's get to these celebrity cameos, which <laughs> I wrote down. So, Little Richard sings America the Beautiful. And uh, the first problematic Jerry the King Lawler comment uh, after his performance... Jerry the King Lawler asked, was that his real voice or was his underwear too tight? Oh, boy. Yeah. Are we going to get a Lil Richard episode on a Columbia House party anytime soon or what's going on? I don't think so. Uh, we are going to have a wrestling episode soon, though. Oh, I'm pretty excited about that. Subscribe to that, everyone. Columbia House Party. <laughs> um, Cy Sperling, who I had to look up, uh, the founder of Hair Club for Men, makes <laughs> a, a cameo and he gives Howie Finkel some hair. 
because Howie Finkel just shows up and announces one of the matches uh, next to Cy Sperling at some point. These cameos are hilarious because obviously, I mean, it's paid, like, sponsored content. And, and I love that the founder of Hair Club for Men realized that this was probably his demographic, wrestling fans. Yeah, like, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of that would be like right now. Like, have you seen any of those like high testosterone pills that Frank Thomas and like Doug Flutie and those guys are hawking right now? No, but it's like a popular thing. Yeah. It's like every time I, every time I watch, um, so when I watch wrestling, sometimes I'll just stream it. Cause, um, like if someone's, I don't know, cause I'm a bad person. Uh, and there are like always all these ads for like, I forget the brand name, but it's like, it's basically like Frank Thomas talking about how he stays buff because he takes these like high testosterone pills. Um, and then like, I think Doug Flutie's in one of them and someone else. Uh, but yeah, it's basically the equivalent of that I think would be the modern day one of like, you have someone coming out hawking like high T pills and like gives like, I don't know, whoever the ring announcer is like, Hey man, you're, you're too small to be around all these wrestlers. Here's some, here's some high T. It gets better. So, Rhonda Shear, who I didn't know who it was, she's the host of USA Network's Up All Night, which I think is like a late night show where they review movies. Well, Monday Night Raw was on USA Network at the time, so I guess this was their cross promo. I guess so, yeah. And you've never heard of Rhonda Shear, right? No. Okay. And Donnie Wahlberg <laughs> introduces one of the guest referees at one point. We have Jenny Garth, aka Kelly. From Beverly Hills 90210. Another white show that I never watched growing up. Um, She's out for the main event with Burt Reynolds. So Burt Reynolds shows up twice. Uh, Burt Reynolds runs into Shawn Michaels during this backstage interview. And tells Shawn Michaels to shave his chest. Which was amazing. Um, And then we get to the main event of the celebrities. Which you had referenced earlier. So fake Bill Clinton is sitting in a quote unquote presidential box. But Blake, me and you both know he's sitting on media row. Yeah, that's that's basically it, man. He's he's uh, that's exactly where, where uh, he was sitting. sitting he was we sitting in like Frank. He was sitting in Frank Isola's seat is where he was. Basically, yeah. Uh, is Frank allowed at Madison Square Garden in the Dolan era still? I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, we have to double check <laughs> that. But okay, so obviously they play this as it's the real Bill Clinton. And I think, you know, for anyone watching, whether you're eight years old or 35 years old, you can tell right away that it's not Bill. Although, I don't know. I'm sure it tricked some kids at the time. And like you mentioned, IRS is sitting behind him and they're talking about working out some tax issues. And then Ted DiBiase shows up. Honestly, I know I've said this before, but IRS seriously underrated character, man. Oh, big time. By the way, I just looked up a picture of this and like Bill Clinton's wig is so obviously a wig it's uh it does it does do a good job looking like them though no they did a good job you know i definitely googled was that a fake bill clinton at wrestlemania 10 just so i wouldn't sound like an idiot talking about it so those were the celebrities that showed up at wrestlemania 10 so now let's get to the matches so it opens with owen hart versus bret hart so uh they they show a little backstory in the feud there was some tension at survivor series uh between the two after like a botch finish in a match where they were together 
Um, and then the tensions seemed like at ease. They reunited, and the two went up against the Quebecers at the Royal Rumble for the tag team title. But they lost, and, and Owen blamed this on, on Brett um, having this knee injury and couldn't tag him in. So he uh, officially turns on Brett, goes after his injured knees. Uh, my favorite thing about this match, uh, beside the actual match, which I thought was really good, is Jerry the King Lawler just wouldn't stop making fun of how old Brett and Owen's parents were dur- during the whole match. Yeah, Lawler is uh, like... Like, he's always bad, but he's, like, impo- he's really hard to listen to during this. And, like, part of that is, like, we talked about uh, in the King of the Ring one, like, the feud, be- the one of the biggest feuds between King of the Ring and this WrestleMania was the Hart family against Jerry Lawler. Uh, so, like, there's this, um, yeah, there's this beef between the families. So Lawler is, like, peak, peak annoying Lawler during this match. Yeah, and Brett injures his knee again towards the end of the match and Owen just goes on a full out attack and he pulls out this win which would you agree with me was a pretty gigantic upset like a huge win for him right yeah for sure it's like it would have been a huge win anyway but the fact that also Bret Hart had a title match later on like to have the guy who's competing for the championship lose in the show's opener is uh is like a pretty surprising booking decision and yeah this kind of like this kind of made Owen as like a singles guy and not just a guy who's in the in the Hart Foundation. Um, it also like, I think it helped the story a lot that the match was so good. So uh, Dave Meltzer gave it four and three quarters stars out of five, which is huge. And then they'd eventually have a cage match for the title that got a five star match, which is like really rare for WWF um, to to score a five star match, and I think like this match in retrospect is considered one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. Yeah, I would say you know on this card the standout matches has to be this one and the Razor Shawn Michaels ladder match, right? Yeah, and the Razor Shawn Michaels one was a five star match too. Um, that like obviously was so innovative for the time, but Owen and Brett is like just like a pretty standard classic wrestling story. Um, and, and in terms of like matches like that, it's up there among some of the best of all time. Yeah. So next we have Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Fashon versus Dink and Doink. Um, I don't really have too much from this, you know, Bam Bam and Luna get the win. Um, yeah, I, I literally have no thoughts on this match. I don't know. if No, (laughs) no, it's six minutes of, I I think, you know, you need to let the crowd cool down after the Owen and Brett match. That's about it. We need to pull more clips of uh, Doink and Dink for, like, clown memes, though. I feel like they're not used enough. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, yeah, instead of the, like, self-face-painting clown memes, (laughs) you just get some Doink stuff going. It's time to switch it up. So, the next one, next match, we have Macho Man Randy Savage against Crush in a Falls Count Anywhere match. So this is kind of like an early glimpse of what those, like, I guess, hardcore title matches would end up becoming. And, and there's this rule where if you get pinned outside the ring, you have 60 seconds to get back in. So, like, throughout the match, these guys are getting pinned outside of the ring. And, you know, there's all this build up, and they eventually crawl back into the ring until... It goes backstage, and Randy Savage gets the pin on Crush. Then he ties him upside down um, backstage, so then he can't get back, and that's the match. Again, I feel like they should have utilized Macho Man better. Yeah, and like the format of these Falls Count Anywhere matches is ridiculous, right? Like The idea that you basically have to keep someone down for a 63 count is 
so silly. Um, like a last man standing match is like the modern equivalent of this where a guy's got to stay down for 10 seconds. And they're like, it's hard to do a good one because you have to get so ridiculous to keep a guy down for 10 when normally you only need a three count. And this one's like, no, you got to get a three count and keep him down for uh, for a minute. So I think I think they probably like made this stipulation because they thought of that idea for a finish and thought it was clever. But uh, I don't know. It doesn't really hit. It's hard to have like a bad Macho Man match, but this one isn't very good. Yeah, I'm going to blame this all on Crush. So the next match is for the women's title. It's Alundra Blaze versus Lelani Kai. And problematic Jerry Lawler just won't stop talking about how much prettier Lelani is than Alundra. And at one point, he says about Alundra Blaze that she has a million dollar body but a 10 cent face. Um, yeah, so this was Jerry Lawler just dialed up. I mean, he's still doing ramen noodle moonsault comments today, but this was him at his, like, problematic prime, I feel like. Yeah, this is... I don't know, man. He's so awful. And I get that, like, in the Attitude Era, people, like, had a fondness for him because he was so over-the-top in a way that, like, suited the time. But this is just, like... I don't know, man. It's pretty gross. Yeah, Alundra Blaze gets the win, and I feel like... This was before they really started building up, like, the women's division, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that this was a time where, like, Alundra Blaze was just, like, squashing whoever. And yeah, there wasn't so... a lot of actual, uh... I don't think there was, like, a division. Yeah, really. so Lalani Kai was just, like, the, the female Barry Horowitz. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> or she might have even been, like, an import um, that they brought in from, like, another promotion or something like that to to do it. I'm not really sure. Yeah, so the next match is the tag team championship match between Men on a Mission, Moe and Mabel, uh, against the Quebecers. The Quebecers are kind of hilarious, man. They have a hilarious intro theme song, and I just can't distinguish between the two guys, Jacques and Pierre. Could you? Uh, not Maybe not at the time. Uh, do you know what Pierre looks like now? No. So quickly bring up, Google. just Google PCO. Yeah. So his name his name is Pierre Carlet and he wrestles as PCO now. He's a 52 year old, and he's like, uh... oh, I see him. He's like a knockoff Sting. <laughs> he's like a knockoff but... Brock Lesnar slash Sting. Yeah, so he's this massive, massive dude that has these insane promos and uh, does like he's like a 50 year old like. You know, he's exactly what you think of a, a guy who never stopped doing steroids would look like, but he busts out like moon salts and, and stuff. That's kind of amazing that, like, I mean, I'm not surprised because didn't Ric Flair just announce that he's coming back again? But, like, these guys, like, just carve out such long careers in wrestling. It's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, and then Jacques Rougeau was the Mountie, and I remember, like, I remember as a kid hating the Mountie, but not, I had no feelings on the Quebecers. Honestly, WWF had a lot of Canadian content, especially yeah. during this particular era. I would like to know the relationship between the Quebecers and Johnny Polo. Also, just that, like, like because they were the Quebecers, these, like, French-Canadian guys, and Johnny Polo, there's not really that much of a connection. But when you see what PCO is now and where Johnny Polo became Raven, it's like, oh, yeah, these guys, these guys totally make sense together now with, like, Raven and this psychotic 52-year-old moonsault guy. Uh, but at the time, I don't really... It, they gave every tag team a manager, I guess, at the time. Yeah, and rest in peace to Mabel, who became Viscera after, right? Yeah, Big like Daddy V. Through, yeah, Big Daddy V. Well, also, I think the worst King of the Ring winner, probably. 
Oh yeah, he was King Mabel. Um, wow, Big Daddy V. That might be might have to be a new nickname for Vivek. Um, <laughs> highlight highlight of the match is when the Quebecers combine to body slam Mabel, but they can't get the cover, so they win via countout, and they walk away with the title, even though the Quebecers are technically still the tag team champions. Uh, I guess that's a feud to be continued later. Um, then we get to the first WWF title match, which is Yokozuna versus Lex Luger. And Mr. Perfect comes in full Foot Locker uniform as the special <laughs> guest referee. How do we feel, Blake, about special guest referees in general? I don't mind it when it's like, a, if it's like a celeb one and there's a storyline reason for it. I guess the storyline here was like Lex Luger was worried that the match wouldn't be fair, so he wanted to pick a referee that he could trust to be impartial. Um, which like, and, and I hope I, I couldn't find for sure, but like, I hope the reason it was Mr. Perfect is like, he was just injured at the time or something, because this is just a terrible use of your, like one of your best in ring guys. If Mr. Perfect wasn't like actually injured or something like that right now. Yeah. This man got the same airtime as Burt Reynolds at a WrestleMania. <laughs> the, the other thing I love about Yokozuna, and I mean, this was a thing cause he couldn't really like cut promos uh, the way that other wrestlers could is that they just kept stacking managers for him. So at this point, he has Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette in his corner. Yeah, du- the double manager thing. And I, Cornette, I don't really, I don't really get. But <laughs> yeah, uh, what what is Cornette's like story? I don't know. Like Cornette now is just like the angry old school guy who hates everything about modern wrestling. Um, and like is just constantly melting down on Twitter and podcasts about what current day wrestling is. But like he doesn't have the self-awareness to realize that for 30 years he was a manager that was just like a guy who inexplicably carried a tennis racket around to hit people with. It's uh, I don't know. I guess the point with a heel manager is you're supposed to dislike them and want to see them get punched. So I guess he did a good job in that. Yeah, and this is a huge disappointment for Lex Luger. You know, for him to get built up um, leading up to this match. And he gets disqualified. So what happens is Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette both get in the ring to try to interfere. And Luger knocks them both out. And meanwhile, he's got Yokozuna pinned for, like, honestly a full minute. But Mr. Perfect, as a referee, refuses to do the three count. And then Luger gets up and shoves Mr. Perfect. And he gets disqualified and loses like, man, like if you were rooting for Lex Luger at the time, or, or if you're Lex Luger and reading this storyline, you must have been so pissed. Oh, yeah. It's like you just makes you look like the dumbest guy. Um, also, I will take issue with one thing, though. The he had him pinned for a minute thing. If I were Yokozuna and I was getting pinned, why would I waste my energy kicking out when there's no referee? I would just lay there and catch my breath, too. So. Uh, that, we don't that know. Is, Maybe Yokozuna that, that, kicks it. No, that is smart. I feel like they pulled that trick one too many times with the whole, like, every time Yokozuna gets pinned, like, something comes up and yeah. it, it actually doesn't happen. So Lex Luger confronts Mr. Perfect backstage. This is just a huge upset for Lex Luger, man. So we, so that means that Yokozuna is going to defend his title later on in the evening against Bret Hart in his second match. And then before we get to the ladder match with Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels, somehow we have a one-minute match where Earthquake just squashes Atom Bomb. Yeah, 
Now, my guess here was that they looked at the way they'd structured the card and were like, okay, we need a, like, Yokozuna Lex Luger is going to get the crowd really hot and we need a cool down match before we get to the big stuff. But yeah, what a, what a pointless match, especially so high on the WrestleMania card. Yeah, I, I mean, they could have put Macho Man versus Crush here, to be honest, if they were to move a match down. But we get that one-minute interlude, and then we got the Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels ladder match. Uh, just iconic. I mean, everything from Razor Ramon walking under the ladder during his entrance to Diesel being thrown out of the arena by Earl Hebner because he like attacked Razor Ramon outside of the ring honestly just the choreography and there's this whole match like i don't know what more i can add to it but it was just a classic rewatching it that's it man it's a classic and it's you know like i said it, it kind of informed what the ladder match would look like for the next 10 years until like the the tlc matches kind of took it to the next level and it kind of informed what the intercontinental title scene well it was already at that point kind of the work rate title, like the the good match title, but it that took that to the next level as well. And I think too, like, I mean, Shawn Michaels was already well on his way, but for Razor, I don't. I think people mostly remember Razor as a character guy and like a good promo guy and stuff. And obviously, he, you know, he had some issues not too long after this in his career that made some of his in ring stuff not that great. But good reminder that like at his best, he could also really go in the ring. Oh yeah, this was just such a good match, and honestly, was this the first ladder match, or, or did they have a ladder match before? I think it was the first, like, well, it's definitely the first, like, prominent one. I don't know if, um, I don't know if it is for sure. I could probably find out. Yeah, and I guess this, yeah, you know, this eventually, the evolution of it, it became like a table, ladders, chairs. Yeah. Uh, many so, years later. And then Money in the Bank ladder match and stuff like that. Um, so this, the first ladder match in WWF was Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels in July 1992 for the Intercontinental Championship. But this was the second one. Yeah, no, this one was a classic. So the main event, Bret Hart versus Yokozuna. And we get another special guest referee, Roddy Roddy Piper. What did you think about this match? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Like... Like, we talked about in the King of the Ring episode how good Bret Hart is at, like, wrestling as the underdog and wrestling against a bigger opponent and stuff like that and making it believable. Uh, but I think at this point, like, this is kind of the point in time where Yokozuna's weight issues had gone from making him, like, a good attraction to making him not all that good in the ring. And, like, structuring structuring the card-wise, I definitely get why you want to start with Owen and Brett because it's so good, but having Yokozuna do two matches like only not even an hour apart uh, is maybe a, a tough guess. So in terms of like the actual quality of the match, like it's all about the moment at the end where Brett pulls off the upset. The actual match isn't really much at all. It's fine, but at this point, it's tough to pull, uh, tough to pull much out of Yokozuna, I think. Yeah, between this and King of the Ring 93... Like, Bret Hart put in so much work during these pay-per-views. I feel like he should have got paid double. Yeah, man. He, uh, what was it, three three matches on the King of the Ring card, and he had the two best ones on there, and then he's got two matches on this one, including the maybe the best one, depending on how you feel about the, the Razor, Shawn Michaels, or, or Bret versus Owen. Um, yeah, man, he's the, he's the workhorse. It's, you can kind of tell why, like, at certain points in his career, and, and, like, in retrospect, he's, like, bitter about a lot of stuff because, like, yeah, he was like, it seemed like WWF spent a lot of time 
trying to see if anyone else could be the top guy or the co-top guy. Meanwhile, Brett's like carrying cards and carrying bad wrestlers at the top of the card to good matches and stuff like that. I would, uh, you know, we've all been there where we're carrying, carrying bad teammates and carrying companies. Uh, you know. Shout out to Eric Kareen. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I, no, I was going to say, I was going to say Bret Hart's the Blake Murphy of 90s wrestlers, you know? Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, no, he was he was awesome, man. He's at the top of his game at this point in time, and you know this match isn't very good. Like I would not put this on a list of like, hey, you got to go check out this Bret Hart match to see what he was all about and how good he was. But I think he's probably the only person at that point who could pull a three star match out of Yokozuna. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, did Yokozuna have any classic matches? I don't feel like there's a single one. No, nah, I mean, I, I bet if you, I would think if you look back, some of the ones with The Undertaker are probably well thought of just because, like, you know, the spectacle of Yokozuna having to be put in a in a casket or whatever. But I don't think he had uh, I don't think he had many top matches. That's for sure. Yeah. So the, this match ends with Yokozuna going for his bonsai drop. But when he climbs to the top rope, he loses his balance and falls, and Bret Hart gets the pin and wins. And then a bunch of wrestlers come out. Uh, Lex Luger comes out first. He has a brief stare down with Bret Hart and then congratulates him. And then everybody just comes pouring out. Razor Ramon, 1-2-3 Kid, Tatanka, Burt Reynolds comes back out at some point. <laughs> Macho Man. And then Owen Hart comes out, but he doesn't get into the ring. He just stares down Bret Hart a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to lie. A part of me wanted him to just drop his heel gimmick for a second and go in and just like congratulate his brother. But that didn't happen. So Bret wins the championship, and, and that's WrestleMania 10. Do you have anything else you wanted to add about this event before we do the awards? No, not really. The uh, From here, you know, Brett and Owen have a pretty good, like that feud continues and they have uh, what I think was, I think it was at SummerSlam, they have like a cage match that gets rated as a five-star match. Um, so that's pretty good. Uh, at some point, Owen Hart and Yokozuna end up as a tag team also because like Yokozuna can't wrestle anymore and they need like Owen to carry the matches and stuff like that. I think they won the tag team championships and that was like the last little bit of Yokozuna being functional um but yeah yes. that's about it man it's uh there's not you know it's weird because like I, I i like i said off the top like when i talked to friends or when we were trying to brainstorm the best wrestlemanias like this is one that comes up all the time but it's kind of like from a match quality it's really like a two match card yeah it's funny because like at the top i did I, I did feel like watching this whole thing it did flow really well but then you go through the matches and i'm realizing that like the five matches in the middle were pretty forgettable. But I do think like the Brett Owen and the Razor Shawn Michaels ladder match is so they're so classic that, that I feel like that's what people remember from it. And that's why it, it ranks so high. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, I tried to look up um, Yokozuna's like match history based like his ratings based on um, like the Dave Meltzer ratings from wrestling observer newsletter. And if I'm looking at this right, his best singles match got two and three quarter stars. <laughs> you know what? He was good for like pushing the storylines. Like he was yeah. good to be the villain, right? To, oh, to no, my bad. He had uh, the WrestleMania three main event or the WrestleMania nine main event got three stars. Yeah, that's the one against Brett. Yeah, that Hulk Hogan then comes in and the Hulk Hogan, <laughs> the Hulk Hogan part of it got a zero. <laughs> well, I mean... This is like equivalent to what we talked about last time. What was it when Kevin Nash just like took a dive 
and yeah, the let Hogan. Poke. Yeah, the finger poke of doom. Like this is really no different. I just feel like Hulk Hogan just didn't deserve it. But again, that's all backstage politics stuff. So, by the way, one more thing about special guest referees. So I, I had mentioned that Yokozuna goes on to like have the casket match feud with the Undertaker. Uh, I had totally forgotten until I brought this page up that Chuck Norris was the special guest referee for that. <laughs> That's all I'm saying, man. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to anything. The only special guest referee I think I really remember is... It was Mike Tyson, right? Mike Tyson yeah. for Stone Cold versus Shawn Michaels when he turns on DX. Yeah. Uh, um, Mike Tyson, by the way, is now involved with All Elite Wrestling, AEW, the newer promotion. He handed out the championship to the first ever TNT champion on saturday at their pay-per-view event and he like jake the snake roberts is like managing a guy now and tried to come out and bring the snake out and mike tyson like got in his way and like turned off took off his shirt and like basically like flexed jake the snake roberts away just like ready to fight with him so the fact that the fact that jake the snake roberts is still pulling snakes out of a bag in 2020 is honestly pretty aspirational yeah, man, if I can if I can ride this like that's like you still tweeting live laugh love stuff in like twenty forty. <laughs> uh yeah. Um I'm definitely headed that way. So <laughs> three stars for WrestleMania ten. I'm gonna go with number one, Bret Hart, number two, Razor Ramon, and number three, Owen Hart. Yeah, I think you got the right order there. Um, you know, Sean and Razor, you could probably pick either one of them there. But uh yeah, I'm a little bit more of a Razor guy at this point in time, so I yeah, agree with I, your top three. And I think Brett has to get the number one because of the, the double match duty and everything. Yeah, you know, rewatching a lot of this 90s stuff is honestly making me appreciate Bret Hart a lot more. I, I just think, like, maybe growing up, like, obviously the Canadian angle, but he just didn't have, like, that cool factor, like a Razor Ramon or Shawn Michaels, you know? Yeah, and that's tough. It's like, which, I, you know, I don't think Brett loved this about his lot in life, but it made him like a really good foil for Shawn Michaels because Shawn Michaels was like everything that Brett wasn't. Um, and then like even Stone Cold eventually too, they were just such like different personality character types that Brett being the way he was probably put a ceiling on his own stardom, but it helped make like two of the biggest stars ever. Yeah, and I feel like over time, like, Brett did grow into a better character in terms of doing the ancillary stuff, like promos and things like that. But, like, his main appeal, too, was, like, his matches were just really fun to watch. But I'm not sure if that, like, would have resonated with, like, everyone, right? Yeah, and I think I think that's why it was so, you know, important for him to have, like, the. he also had the elements of, like, white meat baby face. Like, I'm a good guy, I won't do the wrong things. And stuff like that. And that's probably what more... I think that stuff kind of still appealed to kids at that point. Um, so he's a little popular, like, with the handing out of the sunglasses when he comes out and stuff like that. Uh, but also, like, I feel like the one thing that they did really well with Bret Hart in this era is, like, even though he was surrounded by all these much bigger guys, like Lex Luger and Yokozuna and Hulk Hogan and stuff, like, you could legitimately believe that Bret Hart was just, like, a better wrestler than everyone else. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too. Um, the Patrick Patterson Award, I think it has to be Lex Luger, man. This is a huge L for him. Yeah, I was thinking Crush, maybe, but Lex Luger just made such a bonehead decision. <laughs> I thought he was going to get disqualified, because remember at King of the Rain, they were like, he had the to forearm play. elbow pad. Yeah, the forearm play. Because um, I do remember that he got disqualified in this match, but I forgot the sequence of what happened. I just kept expecting him to throw some kind of illegal elbow and Mr. Perfect was going to pull out a rule book. But this seems 
I don't know if I have it correct, and I didn't look it up, but this seems like kind of the end of like the main event push for him with WWF, right? I think so. I, I can't imagine he stuck around much longer after that. Like it just like it hadn't worked. It's yeah. Uh, I don't know when he went to WCW, but oh, he went to WCW shortly after. He was uh, in 1995, so like within a year. Yeah, what a disappointing loss for him. And the Gerald Henderson Award, I'm just going to give to Burt Reynolds just because he told <laughs> Shawn Michaels to shave his chest and the Heartbreak Kid was very flustered in that moment. Uh, uh, yeah, that's great. If you could take Shawn Michaels off his game right before a big match. Uh, I'll give mine to um, Pierre Ouellette of the Quebecers just because, uh, you know, you can see the potential for him to become a 50-year-old psychopathic monster uh, if you look closely in this match. So. Well, always pushing the Canadian content, man. Yeah, got it. Got it. Can't, can't wait for your book collab with Pierre Ouellette, bro. Yeah, the PCO, the PCO story. Oh, my God. That's going to be amazing. Um, yeah, if you're down to do more of these, I feel like we should do a time jump now. Because I yeah, feel like we've probably. we've covered a lot of this era now. Yeah, and we we got kind of the the, I think we got we did the NWO episode. So I don't know, maybe we need to switch to WWF and do like an Attitude Era, like Stone Cold. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, I think it's time to dive into like The Rock, DX, and Stone Cold. So we'll we'll figure we'll figure something out. Um, so you know, shoutouts to. Mr. Ramen Noodle Moonsault, Blake Murphy, um, thanks again for coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, and thanks. Special shout out to Jerry Lawler for 30 years of saying unbelievably offensive stuff on commentary and getting away with it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here to sing America the Beautiful, would you please welcome the originator, the one. And the only, the original, wild man of rock and roll, ladies and gentlemen, Little Richard! Just like he said
that he would from sea to shine. 